everybody. Welcome once again to the Wrestling Inc. podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Rubenstein, joined once again by Wrestling Inc. founder Raj Geary and our commentator this week to talk about SmackDown Live, David Bixenspan. How's it going, Dave? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Doing well, Raj. Doing good. Doing good. I got my coffee, so I'm good to go. Yeah, I was up late last night watching SmackDown Live. Uh, I had evening plans, and I was like, "Oh no, I have to, I have to watch this before I go to bed." But actually, you know, it was, it was uh, for me at least. You know, I thought it was a good show. Uh, again, two hours moved so much faster than the three hours on Raw. But Raj, let's go to you first. Your big picture perspective on last night's SmackDown Live. Uh, it was all right. I thought, um, you know, again, I think being two hours really helped it a lot because it was a lot of filler, not much happening. Um, you know, John Cena, AJ Styles, the Usos, Apollo Crews, n- uh, none of those guys were there because they're in New Zealand and Australia for the, the tours this week. Um, so it was, um, you know, it was like raw in the sense that nothing really happened. It was kind of staying in place, but it was easier to watch for me than raw just because it was two hours. It didn't, didn't feel as long and uh, it didn't drag as much. So uh, that's what I thought. David, your uh, big picture thoughts on week three of SmackDown Live? Uh, I thought not as good as the previous two weeks, although they did a better job of hiding that it was a bare-bones crew, I felt like, than usual. Because I don't know if it's because of the, it's post-brand split or whatever, but you think about the last, I don't know, half-dozen times they've done SmackDowns where the most of the crew was... Overseas, there have been some weird shows, and some, <laughs> not bad necessarily. But even going back further, like I think it was for one of the European tours where Damien Sandow just turned babyface just for one show for no reason other than that they didn't have anyone to put in the spot. So it, it until you mentioned it, it didn't even click with me. Oh yeah, that's right, they're in Australia. So yeah. I think in that sense they did a good job. Um, you know, we'll talk about it more. I thought. Ava, Ava Marie was even better this week, or at least her whole shtick. I'm curious to see if you uh, were sold on it this week, Glenn. But enjoyable yeah. show, but I don't think quite at the level of the previous couple weeks. Yeah, no, we'll definitely definitely get to that. Uh, you know, uh, the, the character development of Ava Marie that they're doing, and you know, laying the groundwork for this. Uh, Largely compelling storyline, um, but no, actually, you know, I thought this week they did uh, some interesting stuff in terms of establishing some of the the stars of the new era, some of the cops from NXT, specifically with uh, Alexa Bliss and Carmella. Um, but yeah, you know, Cena and Styles notably absent and noticeably absent from the show while they're overseas on the tour. But you know, let's let's just go down and talk about what happened. Um, you know, again, we opened with uh, Randy Orton talking about you know what's coming up in terms of his fight with Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam, which I believe Raj, you deemed Monday night a total squash where Brock will destroy Randy Orton. Uh, just you know, uh, taking away any suspense there for anyone like myself who's like, oh, Randy Orton, he could do it. Um, but no, uh, we had uh, Orton and Albert Del Rio talking backstage, sort of announces the main event. Again, that sort of shows you that people are absent when uh, Orton versus uh, Del Rio is, is the big match of the evening. But, uh, you know, we had Del Rio threatening to break Orton's arm, really sort of setting up the idea that he might get injured before SummerSlam. And uh, then we opened the show and had uh, uh, the setup with um, 
the the Wyatts and Dean Ambrose and uh, Dolph Ziggler. And, um, I mean, what did you think of how they set that up, David, in terms of, okay, we established a little bit more of their conflict, but then this idea, oh, you have to tag together at the end of the night. We've seen similar setups to this um, in, you know, Pretty much, uh, it seems like once a month they, they trot out this idea like your opponents, but tonight you have to work together. What did you think about that, setting that up for uh, the show? Well, like you said, I mean, that in and of itself, they just overdo. Um, big picture, I felt like coming away from this, it feels like they don't have enough confidence in Ziggler and Ambrose as a program in and of itself because we know they're not doing a triple threat match. They already kind of threw out you know, they kind of teased it last week, and we talked about how it seemed like that was the direction they were going in, and I thought that was kind of a nice way to go against the expectations, but why are they plugging Bray Wyatt into this over and over? It just, something about it doesn't click for me. Yeah. Um, real quick, uh, I, I didn't say Lesnar was going to squash Orton. <laughs> <laughs> I just said, I think Lesnar should beat Orton, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, but you know, this is this is what they always do. This is the formulaic. Uh, whenever they have a babyface versus babyface world title match, they always have them teaming up and you know have a conflict. I mean, they've been doing that forever. They did it with Ultimate Warrior and Randy Savage back in the day. It was Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels. Uh, pretty much any time they have two babyfaces, they you know they have them team together. There's conflict. Um, so it was standard stuff. Um, but you know, I I thought watching Bray Wyatt cut his promo, I just think he's back to being stale again. Um, you know, uh, he he just he's just been doing this for too long. And back with Eric Rowan, it just it just seemed like been there, done that. And uh, I, I was just you know really waiting, you know, really clamoring for him to you know tease a babyface turn again because he he needs a change in his character. Bray has got so much charisma, and I just feel like every time he goes into the Eater of Worlds, the God, that thing, it's just, I don't know, man. It feels to me like he read a book on Charles Manson or, like, watched some docudrama and was like, yeah, I should do that shtick and dress like Robert De Niro from Cape Fear. Um, you know, I just, I feel like he's got so much charm and charisma, but they're just sort of wasting it on the generic platitudes. Um, I, do, I do have to say, though, him and Ambrose, I like their interplay with each other. I think there's a lot of potential there, should they want to do something with that going forward. Yeah, I, I agree. I just think, um, you know, kind of to what you said, when, when, like when Wyatt later did the backstage promo with Eric Rowan saying, you know, are you ready to die out there? I think it takes away from the seriousness of the match, because you know yeah. no one's going to die, and, and it, just, it just seems silly. Uh, so um, yeah, I, I just thought it uh, it uh, it's it's run its course. Yeah, I mean it's kind of weird as a story point, right? Uh, right? I mean I know you know okay, so the idea that Undertaker, sort of this undead wizard, is in this wrestling promotion, but Bray Wyatt, like, is the swamp cult leader. What does he care about wrestling? Um, I, I think it's just a strange character beat where they could do something more interesting with him if they gave him half a chance. Uh, David, your thoughts on Bray in general? Well. The thing is, as far as him turning babyface, is that whenever it seems like it's the time to do that, or like he's gotten stale, and you're right, it seems like like when he's trying to be charismatic and just have a patter and do like a Dusty Rhodes, Thunderbolt Patterson, whatever type of promo, that's when it seems like he's at his best, but that's mm -hmm. not a, as a heel, but whenever it seems like he should be turning babyface, it's always when they're short on heels, so he has to stay a heel, and because of that, he's gotten too stale. But I, it's like, 
I get why they haven't turned him, and certainly why they haven't turned him right now as part of the draft, because they don't have any heels. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, well, yeah, he's, what, I mean, you know, I mean, one of the big faces of uh, SmackDown, but yeah, they definitely need someone that can that can serve that bad guy role. So, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like, uh, you know, I'm just worried if we're just going to see sort of a recycling of, of things in the past. Um, so we'll get to that. More later, real quick, just to, just to David's point, you know, I think I, you're definitely right. The only real heel they have on SmackDown, like a top heel, is AJ Styles, and um, I think they'd be it, it would benefit them to turn Bray and to turn Dolph. I think it would freshen both of those guys up because both of those guys uh, could use a fresh coat of paint. Yeah. yeah, Ziggler. I'm trying to think. Ziggler has not been a heel since the double turn with Del Rio, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's been a babyface ever since. And that was over three years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Bray has never been. Time. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bray will be a face when Roman does his full heel, heel turn. You know, just to well, Bray almost, if he didn't get that injury, he would be a, a face yeah. right now. People really like him, you know. I just I think that his shtick is uh, a little old, and it was. I don't think his shtick was ever as as quite as compelling as it could be. You know, even going back to NXT, I think his promos are good. I think the Fireflies thing is great. I think the Wyatt family is creepy. Um, you know, I think his intro music is on point. It's just something about his shtick to me just seems a little. I don't know, you know, reheated, rehashed cult leader. Um. So going in uh, to that, to the first big match of the night, uh, we had American Alpha versus Mike Vega and Mikey O'Shea. And this really, you know, was it was a brief match and sort of set up what's to come with uh, the tag teams and SmackDown establishing a tag team title. David, uh, what did you think of, the, of both the segment and this buildup? As a segment, I mean, I thought this was great as far as the American Alpha part. You know, in general, they've brought back squash matches as part of the brand split it's worked really well so far, and I think it's perfect, especially for these two, because they've got that whole Steiner Brothers thing going anyway, and one of the things that made the Steiners so impressive was just letting them demonstrate their moves on all these poor schlubs who got thrown <laughs> in the ring against them. So, I mean, the, the American, American Alpha don't quite have that degree of edge and violence to them, but they don't need to. But... So I thought this was very effective. As far as the thing with every team coming out, that I wasn't crazy about. It just felt a little... I feel like it's another one of those things that they just do too much. Yeah, I mean, I think there's this idea that if they're going to establish a belt, they really need to showcase the division and everyone that's going to be competing for it. You know, so I understand why they would do it, but to me, it, it sort of speaks to like, okay, we're we're doing this, um, you know, curtain call showcase of our tag teams, but we're going to show you just how limited that bench is. It's not very deep, you know. So it's like right. we're going to have essentially four teams in contention for this. I mean, Raja, what what did you think? I I, I thought I thought it just it, it's one thing if you have the Usos there, then I think you could do it. But by bringing those teams out, I, it was what you said. I thought it was it really showcased how how thin the division is. But uh, as far as the squash match goes, I thought that was good because it you know yeah. it, it showcases the team, it, it gets them over, and I like that you know they're not just sh you know limiting squash matches to you know Nia Jax and, and Braun Strowman. So I thought I thought that was good. Um, when do you think uh, they're gonna announce the titles? Do you think they're gonna do it for? 
for SummerSlam, essentially announce it next week and then have the first have the kickoff for this be SummerSlam, or do you think they're going to wait till the week after Rush? Uh, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Do you think they're going to announce the the tag belts for SmackDown? Do you think they're going to do it next week and then have a match at SummerSlam or announce it for post SummerSlam? No, I think post SummerSlam. I, th- I think you know SummerSlam's pretty filled up, so I think that's uh, yeah, that's that's after. Yeah. I mean, David, what do you think? Uh, do you think people are going to take these belts sort of seriously, or is it going to be the SmackDown sort of made-up title? Mm, I'm not sure. And you know, like as far as the timeline, you know, keep in mind the whole angle with Daniel Bryan saying that you know they're going to wait and do it slower than Raw because Raw introduced the Universal title right away, and blah blah blah. It's tough. I I think for the tag titles. With American Alpha, at least, they, uh, I think, they at least will get over enough that they can be taken seriously as an anchor team, so I think it's possible for the tag division not to be seen as secondary. I think the women's division, because of Charlotte and Sasha being on Raw, I think has a better likelihood maybe that's not the best way to word it, is more likely to be seen as secondary yeah. than the tag team division would be. Yeah, well, I mean, so we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but first, you know, a lot of people called this out, I noticed on Reddit and in the comments. What did you think about the backstage segment with Renee Young and the uh, Miz and Maurice sort of setting up that Apollo, uh, you know, setting up Apollo Crews as his challenger for the IC Championship at SummerSlam. Uh, I mean, they, they went a little over the top with this. I really I really enjoyed it, personally. I mean, David, what did you, what did you think of this sort of more attempt at a straight comedy bit with them? That was amazing. Yeah. I mean, that totally fit their characters. I thought that was great. I mean, they're they're the most underrated act in the company right now. Yeah. They're, they're tremendous together. He's got a shot in the arm since she's come back. Um, there's part of me that feels like it's maybe someone else should be the Intercontinental Champion, but I think at this point it would take away from the act if he was not the Intercontinental Champion. Like, I don't know if a Honky Tonk Man is the best comparison, but it, I feel like it does heat, heat them up a bit for him to be a kind of undeserving champion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Raj, uh, what did you think of the bit? Uh, I, I thought it was really entertaining. You know, yeah. uh, you know, to your point, you know, I think uh, they're. Um, I think the the Miz and Maurice are really entertaining. It's not main event, uh, yeah, a main event gimmick. Uh, they're not going to be headlining pay per views or anything. But it, you know, it is for what it is. It, it's it's really good, and I th- I think they're you know nailing it out of the park. Yeah, you know, I think the Miz. I mean, is just uh, is amazing to me. I mean, who would have thought, right? I mean, back back to when he was on the Real World and was just a fanboy. Back to the first, you know, or the fourth season of Tough Enough that he was on. Even back to his WWE debut. Um, I mean, it's kind of amazing to me. And I, I've watched the direct to DVD features that they've put out with him. But I mean, he he can legitimately act. He has a good range. I think he's a good heel. Um, and I think he's funny when given the chance. You know, he's uh, a utility player that doesn't quite get the recognition he deserves all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, David, to your point, I mean, I don't think he needs the belt. I mean, I think he, he's so established you can put him up against anyone. But uh, for now, you know, he certainly is a good placeholder. I'll be curious to see uh, what happens with him and Apollo at SummerSlam. Uh, so coming back, we had Becky Lynch versus Eva Marie. And uh, David, I know you, you asked earlier my thoughts. Yes, David's, David's favorite segment of the night, uh, perhaps the segment of the week. Uh, so I was at two house shows over the weekend. And what they did for Eva Marie was they essentially had her come out 
they had her entrance and they just had her hop on the mic and say, you know, because of my injury, I can't wrestle. But since you all paid your hard earned money to see me, I wanted to essentially give you all a glimpse. And for me, I was like, okay, this is brilliant, you know, because it was, it was everything that, uh, that first week with the pulled muscle was not. And last night, I mean, I thought the wardrobe, wardrobe malfunction, um, that, part didn't necessarily work for me, but I now like this angle that they're just going to keep her from actual competition for a while and keep coming up with a different excuse. Um, I mean, Raj, what did you, you think of this going into week two? Uh, yeah, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was entertaining. Um, I just don't know how long you keep it up, you know, after, yeah. after a point, people are just going to be groaning and, and, uh, you know, I'd like to see it, them keep it up and then have her be a valet and never wrestle. Because, you know, I just, you know, and this is, I think Eva has that star look and that star quality. I, I, I definitely think there's a place for her. I just don't think uh, she's a wrestler. And not everyone is. And you can be effective without being a wrestler. I mean, look at Miss Elizabeth back in the day or Paul Heyman or Missy Hyatt. Um, so, you know, someone in the YouTube comments mentioned, uh, you know, pairing Eva Marie up with Dolph Ziggler and turning him heel. And I, you know, I think that actually might be a good idea. So, um, yeah, I, I would uh, I would keep her out of the ring. But you know, as a segment, I thought it worked. So, David, week two of your favorite recurring segment on SmackDown. How, how, what'd you think? Well, first of what Raj said, I do kind of like the idea of her suffering some kind of career-ending injury. You know <laughs> what I mean? And then she can't wrestle, be, and then she becomes a valet or manager because of that. I think that's something that would work fairly well, and it would add to the heat of the whole thing, but what I thought especially worked about the whole idea of, oh no, the straps on her top, just mysteriously, on their own, both of them snapped off, and she's having a wardrobe malfunction, she can't wrestle, it's like, I felt like that worked extra well, because she is the only woman left in WWE who has the kind of less attire that looks like it's not necessarily the most appropriate thing to wear during an athletic endeavor. <laughs> so that it, it, it makes sense. It, all, it still sort of makes sense in its own weird way. Like, it's still... It's just plausible enough. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, that... Yeah. Even though it's, she's obviously faking, there's a little bit of plausibility there, and that makes it... That makes you more angry. You know what I mean? We, and they, so, they did it pretty well because I didn't see her unhook it or you know like so yeah it 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 looked like it it almost looked like it could have been real. obviously it wasn't but yeah. you know if it was a different match or and different person you could have believed that it was real wardrobe malfunction. So, yeah, sorry to be an FX nerd, but did we get a report live? I mean, did they just have her manually undo it, or did they have a remote thing that they popped, or? Do we know how they, they pulled... Did they actually do an effect for it, or was it I mean, it, just it was like, off-camera, right? I'm trying yeah, to think Yeah, it was off-camera, yeah. so I'm curious. I'm just curious if the live audience had any note on how it was actually done. That's I a good question. I didn't look into it that much. <laughs> I mean, they've gotten much better at hiding these things. I remember... Because, uh, actually, I was re-watching it for something a couple weeks back. The Remember leading up to SummerSlam 98, the thing they did where, you know, they did all the things where Undertaker dressed up as Kane, and then they did the one time where Kane dressed up as the Undertaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where they, and they had the, 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 the big, like, thing behind his head so he could have his hair down. And blah. Okay, so what they did was, and I, I forgot just how obvious it was, they had him come, they didn't have him come down the ramp so they wouldn't have to shoot him from the front. They had the Undertaker mad... It, was ob- very obviously done in post. They had to magically appear at ringside. 
and that, yeah. and it was one of those things where the commentary was very obviously dubbed and all that. So they they've progressed in the last eighteen years as far as that type of thing. Yeah, they're not bad with special effects, especially considering these these are live events. So yeah, a wardrobe malfunction is not the the trickiest thing they can pull. Yeah, off. but I mean, no, but they did this live, and that that looked bad, even though it was on tape. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you could tell, because I went back, I thought I missed something originally when it happened. I went back, and you could tell she's wearing, like, a weird secondary layer. Like, if you look at um, the way it works, I mean, clearly it was set up for this. So, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about something that happened off camera. Um, But so, the actual match itself, so Eva didn't wrestle... Becky issues an open challenge. Out comes Alexa Bliss. Uh, Eva does a distraction, causing Alexa to win on her SmackDown debut. Uh, Raj, what did you think about this being sort of the introduction of Alexa to SmackDown, uh, you know, of her in-ring skills? Well, you know, this is actually this was actually the first women's match uh, since the draft on SmackDown. Oh, wow. Yeah, because the, the two last week were canceled. You know, never, <laughs> never took place, so... Um, Which is, it speaks to how seriously SmackDown's taking its women's division. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think uh, Alexa Bliss is probably one of those that should have jobbers uh, initially. Um, I, you know, I, I just think Becky Lynch is the star of your women's division right now. She's the most over uh, woman on SmackDown until, and uh, hopefully they bring Bailey over to SmackDown. I think they can use her a lot more. Um, but I, you know. I, th- I think it was good. I don't think Alexa Bliss should be losing her first match on SmackDown. So in that sense, I think it was good. I just wish she had beaten somebody else other than Becky Lynch, and they kind of k- start protecting Becky a little more. Yeah, David? I disagree with the idea that she should have faced a Jobber in the first match because with her, I feel like... I mean, she's not green in the way that even Marie or... Um, Nia Jax is green, but she's still kind of green. And in her first match on the main roster, I feel like she probably should have someone leading her a little bit. So I was okay with that. Um, as far as her getting a clean, I mean, a clean, but you know what I mean, a, a reasonably clean win over uh, Becky in the first match. I mean, I kind of see your point there. But to me, it felt more like it just heated up Becky's issue with Eve Marie than it did da- than it damaged uh, Becky. You know, I, I have to say, I mean, I love Becky. I know I've, I've sta- I feel like I state that a lot on this podcast, and I was fine with the way that she lost, and I thought it established Alexa pretty well. I mean, I think Alexa is is the, you know, aside from Eve Marie, I mean, Alexa's the heel with some in- in-ring ability on SmackDown. Um, and I thought, you know, it made Alexa look like she should be taken seriously. I mean, this, you know... You forgot Natalia. Oh, but, well, no, no, see, but here's the thing. Natalia, it just... We'll talk about this in a minute, but I think Natalia as a heel, it just doesn't fit for me, you know? I mean, I just, I don't think she does a good job with it. I think she's okay as a face, but as a heel, it felt so forced. Even the stuff she tries to do in car, I mean, she tries almost like she got the heel handbook, you know? It's like, I'm going to repeat the babyface's catchphrase to them while I'm kicking their ass, you know? And it just feels so forced. Like, I just don't see it, you know? It's a little forced, but I think it's also enhanced by the idea that everyone kind of knows she's this really nice person in real life. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think Total Divas is part of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I, I mean, I do think she could be doing a better job, but I, I think part of it is the just the perception that we already have of her. Like, if she, if she came into this as a blank slate, I think we'd be thinking of her performance as a heel a little bit better. No, I agree with that. I mean, uh, I mean, Raj, what do you think about about the women's peel bench as far as that goes on SmackDown? 
I, I, I just think uh, I think they need to introduce more of the women they already have. Naomi, I'm not sure if she's clear to return or not, but it just seems you know very uh, shallow right now. Um, so they did finish the segment with Eva saying she'll make her debut in the ring next week. Uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. But to me, uh, to your point, Raj, about how these jokes get stale, I see, I think it goes the opposite way. I think it, something like this is like the Simpsons rate gag, that at first it's kind of like, eh, and it's like, really, again? And then it's like, oh, really, they're doing this again? And then the fourth or fifth time, it becomes hilarious when they just drive it into the ground. Yeah, but they don't do it every week. <laughs> yeah. It's SmackDown, man. What else do they got? You know, Shallow bench, shallow bench. Uh, so uh, coming up after that, we had Randy Orton versus Alberto Del Rio, and I apologize, I said Albert Del Rio earlier. Um, so uh, with the, with this match, I mean, this, you know, as I said at the top of the show, this seemed like, okay, what do we do, sort of a placeholder to give Orton, uh, you know, somebody to fight in the build-up to his match against Brock at SummerSlam, but what did you think of the match itself, Raj? I just, I have a hard time, Randy Orton and Alberto Del Rio just are two guys that are just so stale right now. Yeah. Uh, even though Orton's been gone for a while, he's just been, you know, kind of the same, you know, doing the same thing for just so long. You know, you always hear, like, Undertaker and, and uh, you know, all these top baby faces about how you have to reinvent yourself every once in a while. And, you know, Orton's never really done that. When he's a heel, he does the same thing. When he's, you know, he, that he's always done as a heel. When he's a face, he does the same thing. So... Uh, I, I honestly was kind of bored during this match. I was find my, found myself losing interest, you know, uh, fixing things on the site, stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think much about it. I thought Orton should have probably gotten a clean win here since he, you know, I think whether or not, I don't know who's going to win at SummerSlam. I could see the argument for Orton. I don't think it's a good idea. But I think the perception is that Lesnar's going to destroy him. And, you know, they're, they're playing it up like Orton's chance is that he could, you know, do an RKO out of nowhere. And that's his chance to winning. So I, I think Orton needs a little more booking help, looking to need stronger. And I think he should have probably beat Del Rio clean here. I thought the DQ was interesting. I mean, it seemed like they were setting up that angle, you know, to give him some adversity to overcome for SummerSlam, this idea that his shoulder or his arm could get hurt again. I feel like it's Lesnar that should need the adversity, you know, because, yeah. uh, you know, Orton's already an underdog, and, and to be, you know, even further, even more of it, I, I think it takes away interest from the match. Yeah, David, what'd you think? And as far as the match, I don't, th I don't actually think Orton himself is as stale, because he has been out a while. I think it's just putting him against someone like Del Rio makes him stale, someone like Del Rio who is stale, as opposed to matching him up with someone newer, someone fresher, someone who he hasn't either hasn't worked with before or hasn't worked with that much. Granted, like I said, SmackDown doesn't really have any heels. Uh, but considering you know what, that this wasn't like a this match wasn't a big deal, I, I would have rather just seen them match him up with someone uh, lower down on the card just to have it be something different. I mean, I'm sure. I'm trying to think who it could even be, like... Baron Corbin. Uh, I was Baron about to say Baron Corbin, but they had that... I guess that one fit with... You know what? No, they could tie it into the angle they did with him, because yeah. they could have him angry over losing or something. Uh, yeah, and David, I think there's something uh, with your mic. You might, might want to just check that real quick. It's it's sounding a little staticky. Um, but, yeah... Um, I think, you know, now they got Baron Corbin moving on to Kalisto, which, you know, you talk <laughs> about, like, uh, 
you talk about like not building these guys properly. You know, you have the guy win the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, then he's in a 50-50 or maybe 60-40 feud with Dolph Ziggler. Um, you, you know, the, you look at the old school way of, of building a guy. If you're going to have him win the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, you put him on a winning streak. You know, you don't have him lose at all and, uh, and build him that way. I, I think Corbin's just so cold with the way he's been booked. And, um, yeah, I, I just think... Uh, but I think, you know, if they had booked him right, he would be a natural for, you know, to feud with Orton. And Corton, uh, Corbin is very versatile. I mean, you know, at the the house shows I was at, he wrestled Sami Zayn, which we won't see here, them being on separate rosters. But even in that, I mean, they put on a really good match. Um, and Zayn, I know we talked about this earlier. I said I wanted to see Zayn hit that 360 roll-up driver on uh, Lesnar, but we were saying Lesnar's too big. He did it on Corbin the second night went all the way around. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, Corbin would have been really, really interesting. Um, you know, with Alberto Del Rio, I mean, the DQ, the shoulder, that was one thing. But I know you were saying, Raj, they need to develop Randy a bit more. I, I still stand by it, man. Look at those RKO chants. He has got the free bird of the wrestling world of, you know, what other move, I mean, probably with Lesnar, probably the F5 in Suplex City. I mean, I can't think of another move that gets that kind of audience demand, you know, right out the gate. Yeah, but I just don't think a move sells tickets, you know? Yeah. Like, it's cool to watch, and, and, and you'll pop for it, but in the grand scheme of things, uh, I, I just think he needs to re-energize his character. He'll always have the RKO, but... Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Which is a weird people chant for it. Sorry. Yeah. No, I'm saying it's weird people... You can go, David. Yeah, you're absolutely right. A move can, can help with that. And, Dave, uh, your mic is still... <laughs> still staticky. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's... So, uh, you know, uh, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm thinking of the next segment, but let's... Oh, that's uh, cool. Let's, let's go to that in a second. But first, want to remind everyone, don't forget to try out DDP Yoga, specifically their awesome Max Pack, used by the likes of Chris Jericho, AJ Styles, John Cena, Gold Dust, and tons of other WWE stars who love using DDP Yoga. In fact, Dustin Reynolds credits DDP Yoga for putting him in what he calls the best shape of his life. Uh, you can get a special offer with three months of the app for free at DDP Yoga slash Wrestling Inc., also, don't forget the resurrection of Jake the Snake, now available on iTunes, Google Play, PlayStation, Amazon, and Vudu. Make sure to check that out and tweet at DDP Yoga. Let them know we sent you. You can also see the movie on DVD, Blu-ray, and Netflix. Thanks to DDP Yoga for sponsoring the show. And as always, check out Trendy Butler. Uh, it's a great clothing service. I've used them. And uh, if you're like me and you hate going to the clothing stores and hate having to you know, go clothes shopping, uh, Trendy Butler is the site for you. Uh, you just kind of enter in your, your preferences, your style preferences, kind of, you know, what you what you prefer to wear, and they do all the uh, the picking for you. They'll pick out uh, clothes, hand-picked clothes uh, that cater to you, and even better, for only $65, you get over $150 in designer clothes every month. Um, make sure you use the code WRESTLING10 at sign up, and you get an additional $10 off. Again, that's TrendyButler.com, and you can follow them on Twitter, at TrendyButler. And Trendy Butler would be an awesome ring name. I'm just saying, it sounds like the Hype Rose Ring Valet, Trendy Butler, you know? <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, we uh, went on from uh, Alberto Del Rio versus Randy Orton with that DQ uh, to the setup for Rhino versus Heath Slater. Now, I don't think we mentioned this on the podcast last week, but Raj, you want to uh, fill everyone uh, in? I know they mentioned on the show about Rhino's political ambitions and how that's going for him. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he, uh, he, he, won, uh, he won office for uh, the Republican uh, seat in, in Michigan. Um, but and now he'll face the Democrat uh, in the fall. The, 
the incumbent Democrat uh, had to uh, had to is term limited, so he can't run again. So uh, so yeah, we'll see. It, it's interesting that the night of the election, he was on SmackDown. You know, Goring Heath Slater backstage. Uh, so he's definitely going to try to do both, even if he wins. Has he has he played up the wrestling angle? Has he done any TV spots? Do we have anything where he's like talking about legislation gore, legislation gore? Okay. Every every news interview they're they're talking about his his wrestling, you know, his wrestling background. I don't know if he's playing it up that much in his campaign. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Yeah, uh, so I thought, uh, you know, I loved uh, the setup with Slater. I loved that they went even further this week, letting him talk about uh, what was it, his two kids, four kids, seven kids, you know, in the above ground pool. That Slater's uh, great. You know. I think Slater is just uh, underrated. I think he's awesome. Yeah, and I love that they're doing him cross-brand. I mean, in this case, it definitely makes sense with the free agent gimmick uh, and the way they're going with him. But, uh, you know, so for people that, you know, didn't watch the match, uh, Rhino won, um, and then they set it up whereas Daniel Bryan was backstage with Shane talking about how they were going to give Slater the contract anyhow, but of course Shane came backstage, told him off, and ended up talking his way right out of the contract. Um, I mean, how much longer do you think they're going to keep this going, Raj, with Slater being the free agent? Uh, man, I... I... <sighs> You know, I, I like the little uh, twist that they did where they were, they were going to offer him a contract. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it has legs in it. I think it, it, a couple weeks tops. Um, but, yeah, I think Slater on SmackDown would be good. And, uh, you know, they kept this match pretty competitive, which, you know, yeah. I, I thought that they might just have Rhino get a quick win with the gore. So, you know, I like that. You know, another thing I really liked was David Otunga mentioning Daniel Bryan giving uh, – Heath Slater these opportunities because they were all in the nexus. And I like yeah. how that kind of tied, you know, their past together because WWE is usually pretty bad about, you know, acknowledging people's past alliances and things like that. So I thought that was kind of a cool thing. And, uh, you know, I, it, it would have been kind of cool to kind of build it up, build that into the angle more. But, you know, I, I think Slater's great. He's really entertaining. Uh, so I, I thought this this entertaining you know this uh, segment was cool. Cool. I don't think Rhino should have lost his first match in, but it, you know it might have been cool to do a double count out or something where he got another shot. Uh, yeah, but I thought it was good. Yeah, it's been a continuity-heavy storyline with Heath Slater. I mean, he was able to talk about 3MB, talk about Nexus, really, you know, give these high points of his career. And um, like you said, it'll be funny for a few weeks, which in my mind means the WWE will do it for a few months. Um, but in Slater, you know, in defense of the angle for Slater, I think that once he drops this angle, what do they do with him from there? You know, if I were him, I would be praying that this goes on for a really long time because I don't think there's a solo storyline there if he's yeah. a member of the roster. You know what's crazy is that Slater is the only uh, member of the original Nexus that's still wrestling in WWE today. Wow, that is kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, Husky Harris, you know, Bray Wyatt came in later. But uh, the original Nexus, yeah, it's just Slater. Yeah, well, last man standing. Uh, so David's fixing his mic issues. Um, but uh, let's talk a little bit about Carmella versus Natalia. I know earlier I sort of expressed my thoughts about Natalia as a heel, but what did you think about uh, Carmella's in-ring debut on SmackDown? I thought it was kind of cold. Um, you know, I thought she did fine in the ring. You know, this kind of goes back to, you know, what Vince Russo says. I know people have, a lot of people have mixed feelings about Vince, but... You know, about, Kabuki, Kabuki, bro? Is it Kabuki? <laughs> but, you know, about introducing talents before they're on TV. I think WWE now just assumes too many of their audiences, the audience knows the NXT stars. And, you know, NXT at the most, if you 
assumed every U.S. subscriber uh, watched NXT. That's a million a week, but they don't. You know, if you say sixty percent at best, that's six hundred thousand, and you know, Raw has three hundred, you know, anywhere three hundred to three hundred thirty thousand viewers per week. So you're talking to you know a fraction of the audience audience that follows NXT regularly. So. I think you need to introduce these characters more instead of just throwing them out there. And I think Carmella has got a cool personality. I think her going out there and kind of having to explain her character, you know, with her <laughs> promo to the ring, uh, just comes off as, as odd. And uh, and I think she would benefit from more of a buildup. But it's not... I don't have a problem with the explanation. I just think that compared to her old ring entrance, it's... Um... You know that video that's out there of uh, NXT promo class where it's like Becky doing that limerick gimmick that they never actually, you know, had her do? It, it seems to me kind of like that. Like, we're going to have Carmella out and do the, do this long, convoluted rhyme. Whereas the old one, you know, Bada Bing, Hottest Chick in the Ring, like, that was smooth. It was simple. It was almost like a franchise extension of Enzo and Cass. It worked. Yeah, Catchy, I... memorable. This new one is not. Yeah, I think just, just being... You know, being that Brooklyn girl, as opposed to having to say, I'm a Brooklyn girl and that's why I act like this, you know, it's... it's Staten Island. Yeah, Staten Island. Uh, yeah, I'm a New Yorker, having, you know, just it, acting yeah. it as opposed to having to say, that's why you're acting, you know, a certain way, uh, is more effective. Yeah. No, but that's the thing. I mean, she never really, aside from... Um, aside from the hairdressing skit that introduced her to NXT and then that that storyline where what Blake and Murphy were competing for her interests with Enzo and Cass. I mean, aside from that, has Carmella ever really had character development aside from the fact that she's besties with Bailey? Yeah, not really. So, uh, someone's uh, correcting me real quick. Darren Young was in the original Nexus as well. <laughs> so yeah. it wasn't just East Later. But, uh, well, he's the last on SmackDown. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, as far as character development, I mean, Carmella, the, the Bailey stuff is the only, and that was on Breaking Ground. I mean, that's the only character development I've seen from Carmella, you know, since her introduction. Yeah, I mean, I think they, they got to build her better. Yeah, but with Natalia, and that's the thing, I thought Natalia d did uh, an okay job in terms of, you know, providing adversity, but I don't know. I mean, I just don't think, I, I feel like Natalia has had a lot of gimmicks that just didn't really suit her, and I think um, where she was in her last face turn with Becky as just sort of this technician that's been around, maybe the overlooked, um, you know, uh, staple of the Divas division, you know, as she was when it was the Divas division, I thought that was a good angle for her, but just her as a bad guy, like, I just don't get, I, I don't. I just don't get it. I don't see it. Yeah. But Carmella's win, I thought, was good. Where you know established uh, established her pretty well. That she can perform in the ring. Although I would like to see more moonwalking, personally. <laughs> That's just me. Uh, David's back. Uh, do you have any uh, thoughts on that match? Quickly. Can you hear me? Yeah. Perfect. Crystal clear, <laughs> buddy. Okay, that was strange. Uh, okay, where were we? Sorry, because I was. Obviously, I was resetting up equipment. We're, we're yeah, Carmella versus Natalia. Yeah. Uh, I felt this was kind of nothing. I don't think Carmella's clicking on her own at all. It doesn't seem like like with with the if you don't watch NXT, she comes off like this weird Enzo and Cass ripoff. <laughs> like well, if you don't true. know that yeah. they were linked together, yeah, then it's. Yeah, I mean, it's very strange. It's like they do not, she does not, she just doesn't seem like a fully realized character or anything. She just, the crowds are not into it. it she has not had a good start to her main roster run. 
Yeah, yeah. If you don't have that connection, that's like um, somebody, you know, in the mid-90s hearing uh, the Foo Fighters and being like, these guys are really ripping off Nirvana. You know, it's like if you don't know the backstory, there's no, you know, it just, it's it's kind of odd. So I could certainly see that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, as far as the debut went, you know, I thought in the ring she was fine. But yeah, her character needs some more establishing. But let's, uh, uh, just quickly, we talked about Baron Corbin beating up Callisto. Does, does anyone even have any thoughts on that and where that's going? <laughs> Not really. It's it's Anyone? just undercard filler. Yeah, exactly. You think pre-show, pre-show for SummerSlam? Are we even going to get that? You know, or uh, just uh, you know the, the feud that Corbin's Probably. in. I, I I don't even want to think about the pre-show for SummerSlam. It's a four-hour pay-per-view as it oh, is geez. without the pre-show. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're lucky, pal. We're gonna you know I'm gonna watch the pre-show the four hours and then come on here and talk about it. You know, uh, nothing quite like that much wrestling. Um, but uh, so let's go out to to uh, the main event of the the evening. Dean Ambrose and Dolph Ziggler tagging together against Bray Wyatt and Eric Rowan, uh, with Ambrose and Ziggler winning. Uh, I mean, what did you think of the way that they paired them together, their interplay, and then having um, you know their conflict reemerge instantly once the match was over. Uh, David, what did you think of, uh, of, of the match? The match was fine. Uh, as far as the booking, I mean, and it kind of goes to what I said earlier. It feels like the whole, you know, Bray part is kind of extraneous and like they don't have confidence in the main, you know, issue between Ambrose and Ziggler. But, I mean, for what they were trying to do, it was perfectly effective. Yeah, like I, I said earlier, I, I just think it was, it was their formula that they, they always do, the baby faces teaming up. Uh, Rowan is apparently going to still stay the, the guy that takes the falls for the Wyatts. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought it was good. You know, you know what I really liked? I liked Ziggler getting the win, and I liked Ambrose uh, taking him out after the end. I like Ambrose how he's, I think Ambrose has been great in this, playing the, the subtle heel while, you know, Ziggler's kind of been the white meat baby face, and I thought Ambrose has, has been really good in this feud. I think I think this feud has actually helped Ambrose out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, because he's had to adjust a little bit. Like, I wasn't I wasn't too into his promo last week, where because it, in the sense it came out of nowhere. But he's doing a good job with the kind of tweaking his persona to be to be fighting a babyface challenge. I just I think at this point I've I've abandoned the hope of consistent personas on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, I, I felt like he was consistent enough. You know, he felt yeah. like Dolph Ziggler wasn't on his level, and he, you know, he that's what he said. I, I yeah. thought that in the promo, yeah. but then in the commentary last week on the main event, he was putting Ziggler over so hard, talking about the fire, the digging deep, the I mean, what an amazing guy he was. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's I mean, true. That was in the same episode. That was like <laughs> a span of two hours. You know, well, you gotta remember, this is the company that once hired a continuity guy and then fired him because he pointed out all the continuity problems. Yeah, yeah. No one <laughs> likes continuity. Yeah, no one likes to that guy who points out. You know, but I don't know. I mean, as a fan, look. I mean, you know, I consider myself someone that that knows more about like the, let's say the Marvel universe than I do about actual American history. So you know, uh, I'm I'm a continuity guy. I value that. You know, and this idea that you're just gonna contradict it so quickly. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's irksome at at best. Um. But yeah, you know, it was what it was. Uh, I thought it was interesting with, uh, you know, Ziggler winning on Rowan, uh, taking the pin. Uh, just out of curiosity, when's the last time Rowan spoke on TV? Uh, tonight. I mean, last night. Did, what, did he? Did 
Yeah, he's supposed to be said run in that backstage promo. Oh, see, I didn't even, didn't even notice. <laughs> so what, what, what did you guys think was the better show this week, Raw or SmackDown? Hmm. SmackDown was shorter. It didn't feel like it dragged. Um, yeah, you know, I, I have to give it to SmackDown. I think um, it was uh, it was a B, but a tight B, whereas I think Raw had a couple of A moments, but it was dragged down by a lot of uh, C, C and D segments. Yeah, I thought it was SmackDown by far. Just, you know, the length of the show just really helped it out. Yeah, I'm going to go with both of you guys because it, it, I don't think either was necessarily especially good this week, but SmackDown definitely edged it because this was the first Raw in several weeks to actually drag. You could be, you could just get both shows this week and you're totally caught up. Yep. And speaking of that, does anyone else find it kind of weird now that SmackDown is doing so much? Last week on SmackDown, they're doing so much. I mean, it's weird to see so much SmackDown recap on SmackDown. You know, uh, completely, I know we didn't even mention it, but that Cena Styles package that they showed, I mean, was, you know, I don't know. It just, it's, 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 it's an interesting change of pace to me, as opposed to, I know we talked about this on Monday, where I feel like raw recaps just come at me from everywhere. I can't possibly avoid them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about uh, what else happened this week. Uh, I did not watch uh, Talking Smack last night. Did either of you guys check it out? No. Watch what? Talking, Talking Smack, Smack on no. the network? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to uh, go back and watch it today. I actually thought last week's was really good. I'm just curious if they kept that streak up. But uh, let's talk about uh, Ambrose uh, being interviewed by Steve Austin on Monday night. Uh, Raj, you want to give everyone a yeah, brief recap? This has been getting a lot of uh, a, a lot of people have been talking about this interview uh you know, online over the last couple of days. Uh, uh, one, uh, there seemed to be a lot of tension between Austin and Ambrose uh, during the interview, and 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 especially at the end. And uh, also, Ambrose basically calling, uh, saying Brock Lesnar was lazy at WrestleMania, and that was the reason why they had a bad match. Um, I, I thought this was uh, Glenn. You should definitely check it out. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, was, you're you're either going to be on one side of the fence. But a lot of people thought it was no big deal. It, it, you know, they, that's just how Ambrose does interviews. Uh, to me, it seemed like uh, like from the get go, uh, Ambrose just was very relaxed. And and you know, usually the younger guys when they're interviewed by Steve Austin, they have more of a extra respect. You know, just because of who he is. Whereas, you know, Ambrose, and I'm not saying it was anything bad, but Ambrose was a lot more relaxed, kind of calling Austin out when he'd say certain things, like, like, what, are you reading the internet, or did you get, are you getting that from the internet? And I think some of that stuff rubbed, you know, Austin off the wrong way. I think Ambrose's kind of nonchalant attitude kind of rubbed Steve uh, off the wrong way, because, you know, like, there was a point early in the podcast where he was like, come on, you know, let's, let's put butts in the seat, or, you know, something like that. So, um... I thought it was just one of those cases where their personalities didn't really really jive for this. And Austin kept asking Ambrose about his childhood, and and you could tell Ambrose clearly did not want to talk about it. And it, it, I think it kind of set things off on a, on a weird a weird note. And uh, yeah, it was just a weird interview. I mean, Ambrose called it an intense interview at one point, and uh, yeah, I just felt like they didn't jive. You know, I've heard Ambrose on other podcasts. He was on Jericho's podcast not too long ago. And I thought that one was great, uh, but this one was uh, definitely a lot more tense. What do you think, David? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I also agree that it seems like Austin asking about his childhood is just where it completely fell off the rails. Which was right at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I, I, in fairness to Austin, 
that's not something you you would necessarily know not to ask just from doing normal interview prep. Like, even though it's a thing that some people kind of knew about, that it's a thing he didn't like talking about, and it's not like that he would have come across that during his research, so... I feel like Austin maybe deserves a little bit more slack than he's been getting, because it feels like a lot of people are blaming him, but Austin... Austin did take the interview in some strange directions. He was very insistent on kind of beating Ambrose over the head with the things he didn't want to talk about. And then at the end, he just starts burying him for saying he didn't think he was... What's the best way to put this? Didn't think he was giving enough effort or not pushing the envelope enough. And it's not like he really has the luxury of being able to push the envelope that much. Yeah, and, and he has been busted. You know, when Roman got suspended, I mean, Ambrose was working two shows at the same time, you know, where he's at the opener at one show and then, you know, hauling ass to the next one that's taking place at the same time to be in the main event and then getting on the flight to Hawaii and then going to Japan. And he's had a crazy travel schedule. I think he's trying to do everything that he can, but he does have handcuffs that Austin didn't have back in the day. Now, Austin, you know, he's... He, He's been backstage. He, he knows the environment, and he talks about it all the time on his podcast. So I don't know if there's something else that Austin thinks that Ambrose could be doing that he's not uh, within the confines of, of the current system. But it was clear that Austin didn't seem that impressed with, with, with Ambrose uh, and, and how he's been doing as WWE champion. Let me, let me ask you guys. Do you think... Okay, forget everything about being in the ring. Forget about his work ethic as far as going to events, okay? I mean, that's a given. He's got that in spades. Do you think Ambrose genuinely enjoys um, or ha or do you think he has issue with everything else that, that comes with being the champ and being the top guy in the company? Because it seems to me like he, that, that just doesn't suit him and his personality. Uh, like Like what? Um, I'll give you the example. So, for instance, like doing the interviews. Ago, okay, so I'll give this example. So, at the house show I was at, Dean did a cursory around the ring. He signed stuff and he was cool, but he looked like he wanted to get out of there. At Access uh, WrestleMania, read a lot of stories about how Dean was just kind of like zoned out, didn't seem like he wanted to be there. Roman, he, he had the match before intermission. Roman was like doing an in store, like a full meet and greet, going around signing everything. Roman always seems happy, always seems like, you know, like it suits him well, that aspect of, you know, he's, he is fine with playing the part. And it seems like whether it's being interviewed, whether it's doing a lot of these things that the face of the company is supposed to do, Ambrose seems like he just wants to wrestle and do his job, you know? I have not, I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, Ambrose doing, uh, you know, morning media before. Uh, yeah. And I always thought he, he did great in interviews. Uh, you know, he, he, that's his persona. His persona isn't this jolly, happy, you know, happy-to-be-there yeah. kind of guy. Uh, but I always thought his uh, interviews were pretty entertaining because they are so different. Um, I mean, I'm sure he's not huge into spending hours and hours signing autographs at Access. That doesn't seem like, yeah. you know, that's, and, and if that's not, you know, then keep that as part of his character. And I have to say, I mean, I think Ambrose is wildly talented. Um, he was the high point for me of this, the second season of Swerved. I even thought 12 Rounds 3 Lockdown was actually a pretty decent B-movie, and he did a really good job in it, you know, given what he had to work with. I mean, David, what do you think about Ambrose uh, as the champ uh, in that regard? I think he's doing a good job as the champ, and uh, there was one other thing I wanted to add as far as the yeah. Austin interview. It was suggested to me, and it, when you kind of watch the interview and where he kind of steered clear of things you would think he should be able to talk about, 
it seemed like maybe he hadn't watched the Austin podcast before, and maybe hadn't been briefed on what he could talk about, and felt like he couldn't talk about the indies with that much specificity. Because yeah, he was dancing around a lot with regards to his early career. You know, and again, I, I, I urge you to check out Ambrose on Chris Jericho's podcast, because you can tell he loves talking about wrestling. I, I think, again, I think it just got off on the wrong foot, and he just never really got into it, but... Um, you know, the stuff with Jericho, and he's talking about, like, how he loved the Brock Lesnar-John Cena match at SummerSlam and how he likes, you know, uh, bringing that dirtiness to matches. And, and, and uh, you know, he has a lot of interesting insight. It just didn't come out in this one. Yeah, I mean, everyone has an off day, and it's just unfortunate that would happen. You know, I just think they were the wrong – yeah, I just think they were the wrong combo. Yeah. Uh, so, Raj, let's talk about the Raw ratings. Um, how, how are they this week with the Olympics on? Oh man, uh, the the worst uh, audience for a show uh, in the modern era since the Monday Night War, since they started beating Nitro, uh, even before that. Um, yeah. Oh, wait, worst just, rating or worst audience? Worst audience. Uh, sorry, okay. I don't have the the rating. Do you, Do you know the rating? I'm looking now. Uh, right now, I just have the viewership. Yeah, the viewership. Uh, so it's two point nine one one million. Uh, you know, up against the Olympics. The Olympics were down. Uh, it should be noted that the Raw against the Olympics in 2012 averaged 4.495 million viewers. So, wow. you know, that's a that's a huge drop. Um, yeah, it, it's just, uh, it, it's something that if, if the Olympics is cutting into to Raw this much, uh, just think about football season's about to start. You know, we're just a few weeks away. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I gotta think the ratings probably in the 1.9, 2.0, and I don't have they done a below a 2.0 in in recent memory? I don't think so. I mean, if ever, um, I want to say there were only like one or two shows even during, like the nadir of their ratings during the Monday Night Wars that even did below a two. Yeah, there was uh, there was one where they were overseas. Uh, I remember that did below a two. Oh, the, the the one where part of the show was from South Africa, where allegedly Vince just threw a fit, and that was when he finally gave Russo potent power. That one. Yeah, yeah, that that was one. And I thought the uh, I actually think the Steve Austin Brian Pillman uh, gun angle one. I don't know if it was a below a two, but it was right around a two. It was like a two two point one one point nine somewhere somewhere in there. So okay, I mean, have the sorry. Oh, go ahead. I have the. Ratings from TV by the I have okay I have the demographic ratings from TV by the yeah. numbers I don't have the I mean as far as the demographic rating they did pretty much 1.0 in 1849 throughout the whole show um, the show peaked at 1.3 in the key down adult demo last week yeah so yeah it's uh it's pretty bad. Uh, hold on one sec. One second here. Let's see. I think we got. Okay. So it was as far as the rating goes, it was only the third lowest according to PW Torch. It was a two point oh three. So it barely scathed, dropping below a two. Do you think SmackDown's going to beat it this week, or do you think SmackDown's going to go even lower? Uh, so, well, SmackDown, yeah, two point nine, you know, two point nine million viewers would be great for SmackDown. So, I, yeah, I, I, I don't think so at all. I think, I think SmackDown's probably going to fall this week. I think it'll probably be two point five, two point six in there. 
Yeah, I mean, do you guys think that this was the wrong time for the brand extension, that they should have done something else? I mean, they're spreading it too thin right now? Uh, I, I just think they're they're thin on talent. They probably should have introduced talent before the brand extension, gotten, gotten them over first, you know. Uh, now you, you have... Uh, yeah, you know, again, this week, they didn't, it's not like they were really trying either. Both shows, like I said, if you missed them, uh, there was nothing you really missed. So, um, we'll, we'll have to see. Hopefully, I mean, next week, they got Lesnar back. Anytime they have Lesnar back on a show, they care. So, uh, you know, and it'll be the last SmackDown before SummerSlam. So, uh, we'll have to pay attention to the numbers next week. Yeah, what about you, David? Do you think it was too, too, uh, the wrong time to do this, this split again? In the sense of roster depth, or in the sense of the Olympics, or well, I mean, all of it. It just—I mean, I know the split seemed like it was, you know, not thrown together, but definitely happened, you know, at an accelerated pace. And they did it, and now they're—if they're just going to get killed by the Olympics, you know—and have waning interest in the build-up to SummerSlam, it just seems like like odd timing. Um, my guess would be maybe that they felt like doing it in the run-up to SummerSlam maybe would help because yeah. of the the same. I, idea is WrestleMania having its own audience increase that now that they're trying to make SummerSlam more clearly this like number two pay-per-view of the year that's almost at the level of a WrestleMania maybe they thought that would help with the audience during the beginning of the split I mean that that's the only thing I can think of otherwise yeah it does seem like it would have been a better idea to wait at least until after SummerSlam and the Olympics yeah. I mean, I think SummerSlam was so hot last year, you know, and TakeOver Brooklyn and everything building up to it. I mean, I don't know. I, th I think it's hard to follow a year like that. And, uh, you know, they're going to have trouble matching that in that interest level this year. But it seems like they're going a lot. They're doing that concert before SummerSlam. The, the WWE is presenting the concert and uh, is going to have superstars appearing there. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, you can only keep going bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually you're going to dip back down again. You know, it's yeah. inevitable, right? And, uh, yeah. and go, go ahead. Well, also, the other thing I was thinking is that maybe they wanted to get it done before the fall TV season started so there would be less competition in general. Yeah. Even I with think, the Olympics going on. I think from a timing standpoint, you know, it, 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 takes, it takes time, so it's better to do it sooner than later. Uh, but they really need to... Uh, they really need to look at what their problems have always been, you know, as far as creating new stars, 50-50 booking, and, and really start to change some of that. And uh, But, yeah, next week, uh, I think we're running out of time, so I don't think we can get these questions yeah. this week. But uh, next week, let's uh, we'll, we'll preview SummerSlam, and, and hopefully we got better shows next week. Yeah, yeah. So the ball's in your court, WWE. Give us better content to talk about, and it'll make our podcast even better. <laughs> so cool. Any uh, final thought before we uh, take us out here, David? Um, not really that I can think of. I mean, kind of an average week of WWE TV. I mean, nothing that you know, nothing that made us hate wrestling or anything like that. So that's that's, that's better weird. than we were a year ago. <laughs> Raj, final thoughts? Uh, yeah, I thought it was a, a below average week for WWE TV. Uh, completely skippable, but. Um, yeah, uh, next week will be a big one, so uh, hopefully they uh, bring their A game. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us once again on the Wrestling Inc. podcast. If you like it, please subscribe on iTunes. Uh, and come back Monday night 
right after Raw ends on the East Coast, uh, 8.10-ish, we will be here live recording with Raj, myself, and Matt Morgan once again. And, of course, you can check out our SmackDown Live recaps on Wednesdays, 12 noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. Uh, follow us all on Twitter. You can find our handles in the show notes. And until next time, I'm Glenn Rubenstein, and we'll see you back here on the Wrestling Inc. Podcast. Take care.